Yes, we are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It's called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toladano. John Wall doesn't need no introduction. It's an insider's look at the NBA and culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick of the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall, will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. P-P-P Prime Time Premium Podcasting. The three P's of podcasting. Prime Time Premium Podcasting. You are now rocking with the best. This is the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast in Prime Time. It's like fucking Walter Cronkite shit going on here. Um, live from New York City, this is the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast for premium primetime subscribers who I feel are the best of the best, my most intimate, most intimate fans that we have at the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast, uh, where I could share secrets, feelings, and hopefully not be judged. Listen, you want to judge me? Uh, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. I mean, I'm easy to judge. Uh, but here we are. I have so much to talk about. So much to talk about. Later on, the official, unofficial. He is the official, unofficial news correspondent of the I Am Rapport Stereo podcast. Eli Lake from Bloomberg News is going to be here to discuss the midterm elections, the good, the bad, the indifferent and just make sense of it, the House, the State, the Senate, I don't know what the fuck, I need to take a civics class, or like a, a political, uh, a politics, American politics class 101, or government class, all the class, I mean, this is the shit they, they, they teach you in the 7th, 8th, ninth grade, but can you imagine being a 7th, 8th, or ninth grader, and, and having a class about uh, politics, or how the government is run? I didn't give a 
flying fuck, nor should you at 12 or 13 give a fuck about what a bill is. You shouldn't even be thinking about that. I, you know what I literally did the other day? I went, this is no bullshit. I went on YouTube to look up the schoolhouse rock song, I'm Just a Bill. You remember that shit? Miles, play a little clip from the schoolhouse rock song, I'm Just a Bill, to try to figure out what the fuck a bill is. I'm just a bill, yes, I'm only a bill, and I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. Well, it's a long, long journey to the Capitol City. It's a long, long wait while I'm sitting in committee, but I know I'll be a law someday, at least I hope and pray that I will, but today I am still just a bill. Like that. When that came out, that was the last thing that I wanted to hear about is I'm just a bill and all this stuff and the guy singing. I don't know what the fuck is going on out there. I don't know why they teach 11, 12, and 13-year-olds about this stuff. You're just going to try to learn it to pass Friday's quiz, and then you forget about it Saturday and Sunday when you're playing video games, football, basketball, Whatever the fuck you're into, you're just trying to pass that fucking quiz on Friday. Um, but before we get into uh, Eli Lake and the uh, outcome of the elections, there's so much sports going on. The New Orleans Saints are going for it. Des fucking Bryant. Des Bryant is now a New Orleans Saint. Shout out to my guy, Sean Payton. Drew Brees. Um, this is a smart move. I, I don't know what took so long. We're heading into week 10. Week 10 of the NFL season. As you know, there's 16 weeks of NFL season. And I believe, I believe it's 14 weeks of fantasy football season. It depends on how your league is broken down. 14 weeks of fantasy football regular season. And then, of course, the 15, the 16, whatever. It depends on how your, your league goes down. But Week 10 of the NFL season, they sign uh, Des Bryant to the New Orleans Saints. He's going to be a huge pickup. Uh, number one, he's totally rested. Uh, number two, if he has, and I believe he does have, although, you know, I, I, I think he's made, you know, he's made a nuisance of himself, but Des Bryant absolutely does have a competitive, uh, egotistical gene in his body. He's basically playing for his fucking career. He can play the next six games and revitalize his career, or the next six games can literally be the last six games that Des Bryant ever plays, which is crazy, which is crazy. The, the NFL doesn't fuck around. When they want to get rid of your ass, they get rid of your ass, and there is no D-League. There is no go to Spain. There is no Euro League. When the NFL is done with your ass, yo, they will shut you the fuck down. There's no alternative. I listen. I I, I never had any anything against Des Bryant except for the fact that he was a Dallas Cowboy. But they they don't play, and I I don't understand it. But the um, the Saints are going for a Super Bowl. They, they lost our guy, Teddy Ginn. I know it's Teddy Ginn, but I call him Teddy Ginn. Cameron Meredith, 
uh, hasn't really stepped up as a wide receiver for the Saints. And I really think that Dez is going to win them at least one key game. It might be a, a, a playoff game. It might be a, a, you know, a week 14 game. Um, I'm, I'm assuming if all uh, stays on track, they're going to continue to rock and roll and get a bye. But I'm wishing Dez Bryant luck. But like I said, yo, when they are done with you, whether it's Chad Ochocinco or Terrell Owens, Terrell, Terrell, I know I get it fucked up every single time. I got it fucked up to his face when, when he was on the I Am Rap Post. I got to have him back on. But when they're done with you, they are fucking done with you. Kaepernick, Eric Reed, who's actually back in the league. But yo, when they want to shut shit down, they shut shit down. Uh, but congratulations to the New Orleans Saints. Congratulations to Des Bryant. Um, they're putting themselves in a position to fire on all cylinders and win a fucking Super Bowl. And nothing would make me happier. Nothing would make me happy as the New Orleans Saints beating the New England Patriots in a Super Bowl. And I want to tell you something. Fucking Julian Edelman, friend and fan of the I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast. Yeah, you're a friend. Yeah, I'm a fan. Was a fan uh, before I met you. Was a fan before you came on the podcast. Julian Edelman, if you're listening, you fuck you. You fucking ruined you lost me a fucking game last week in my money league. You, Julian Edelman, you fuck you. All these extra little passes you're catching and all that bullshit. You fuck guy. I was, I was, I was close until you got involved, until you, you know, laced them up. And you know who fucked me and you could pass this along, Julian Edelman, if you're out there listening. Your guy, Chris Hogan, fucked me. So you fucked me in, in one way and then Chris Hogan who I had on my team, fucked me in another way. It was a New England Patriot double fuck. Um, Duke, Duke basketball made its debut last night, and I haven't seen... Now listen, I'm not Mr. College Basketball, but there was a lot of hype on this kid Zion Williams and these uh, two other... Uh, Kids they got playing, these rookies who should basically fucking not be playing in, in college basketball. This is like a fucking, at least a D-League team. This kid, Zion Williams, uh, who's playing for Duke, is built like, I don't never seen anybody built like this at 18, 6'6", uh, 285 fucking pounds. That's what they're saying. Um, and they're saying he's 18 or 19. Listen, listen, this is, this is the I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast. You know we don't fact check. Uh, if they're saying he's 18, he's probably 19, uh, and he just actually might be 19. I don't know. I don't follow um, college basketball last night, but between the election, uh, the Portland Trailblazers game, uh, which C.J. McCollum, who I just happened to be on his podcast, the Pull Up Podcast, uh, the day that I did his podcast, he dropped 40. Uh, coincidence? Uh, I don't think so. You're welcome, CJ. But Zion Williamson, this kid Barrett and Cam Reddish, who are all freshmen, this is like 
the Fab Five. This reminded me of the Fab Five at Michigan uh, with C. Webb, Jalen Rose, Jawan Howard and them, except for the Fab Five was five. There's only three of these guys. But I was looking to be critical. Could this kid Zion Williamson do anything besides, you know, run and dunk and jump, which is a lot. You know, run and dunking and jumping is, you know, if you could just run, dunk, and jump, you're, you're ahead of the curve. Uh, but I have to say, this motherfucker is the real fucking McCoy. Um, it's only one game, but it, it reminds me of the Michigan Fab Five. He's a fucking beast. Uh, again, I'm not a big college basketball fan. That's not my thing. Um, but uh, my guy, Rex Chapman, who I believe was covering the game for Kentucky, you know, he's all, he's all, uh, he's all Kentucky. He's Kentuckyed out. He's Kentuckyed top to bottom. They got their asses kicked. That's right. Rex, you got your asses kicked uh, by Duke and this kid Zion Williamson, who's, yo, he's a freak, man. And he's a, like a legitimate freak. Um, my man Rex said that Zion Williamson is a mix of Earl Campbell with a double order of Charles Barkley and a large side of Mario Lemieux and a small Ricky Henderson to go. Earl Campbell with a double order of Charles Barkley, a large side of Mario Lemieux, and a small Ricky Henderson. So he's a freak. Scott Pollard, friend of the I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast. I've been on his podcast. He's been, uh, he's been on our podcast. He said nothing adds up about this kid. His shot looks bad, but it goes in. Doesn't look like an athlete. And he flies. He's too short, but plays tall. Got a great feel for the game. He's definitely a wolf in sheep's clothing. Yo, if you don't watch college basketball... Check this kid out. He's been all over Instagram for the last four years when he was in high school. It looked crazy. Um, but he's the real deal uh, for now in terms of like living up to the hype and excitement, just the same way the Fab Five was. Obviously, when Michigan played, college basketball was complete, to- totally different with C-Web and those guys. You had Duke. You had UNLV. You had It was just a more competitive landscape. It wasn't a one-and-done factory that it is now. Um, But these three kids for Duke can literally wind up going one, two, and three in no particular order in the draft. That's how good they are, which obviously has never happened. But you could get three freshmen from Duke, all go pro after one year and get the first three or first five picks in the draft. But don't be surprised if they go one, two, and three, um, which is insane. So as I mentioned, uh, C.J. McCollum went for 40 on that ass last night. Um, And I did do his podcast, the pull-up podcast. You know, I listen to uh, a lot of other podcasts. And um, a podcast that I got to tell everybody to listen to is called Gladiator. Um, It's the Aaron Hernandez story. Aaron Hernandez, of course, the New England Patriot uh, who was convicted of murder, um, then uh, found not guilty of a double murder, which I think is forgotten about, and then 
I think it's eight days because I'm listening to this podcast, so you know I don't fact check, but the details are, are fresh in my head. Um, eight days after that, uh, was was found dead in his in his jail cell, and it's from the Boston Globe. It's dope. It's really dope. It's like some investigative reporting, and I know that uh, you know we've talked a lot about him on the podcast. Called him a sick fuck, and then it's a tragedy, and then all this and all that. Um, I highly recommend uh, the podcast. It's on uh, iTunes and I'm sure everywhere else. It's called Gladiator, and it, and it, you know, it's like six parts. I think five have come out. I think there's one more part, and they'll probably do a follow up. But it's really good because his story is complex. Obviously, he had a troubled life. He was a troubled dude. Not to give anything away. That hasn't already been reported or even discussed uh, right here at the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast. Uh, but, you know, there's questions about his sexuality. You know, stories came out about him being bisexual. Uh, but it, it, it's definitely, it's dope. It's a dope podcast. It's informative. And it, it's so much more than uh, uh, than meets the eye with him. But he had a fucked up life. And, you know, he was dark, obviously. Dark, 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 twisted motherfucker. Um who, uh, you know, his life, you know, was just a crazy ride. So you should check that out um, on iTunes called Gladiator. Um, yeah, it's called Gladiator. It's by the Boston Globe. So, you know, it's uh, it's going to be good, solid shit. <clears throat> Another podcast that I've been fucking with um, that I uh, actually got recommended uh, this by Gorilla Tooth Gary. Uh, Baba Booey. Um Big Tooth Gary Delabonte recommended this, uh, and it's really good. Um, it, it has nothing to do with zoo animals, which was surprising because I was like, you're, you're recommending, is it about like, you know, the protection of zoo animals? Is it protection of, you know, wild beasts? And, and it turns out it's not. If, if you're into podcasts, you know, like I like these, these like real crime ones. I don't like them to be too fucking graphic or too, I like it to be like, you know, like more like, investigative 60 minutes type of shit in the dark season two i heard season one is good i didn't listen to it i i, I took a gorilla's advice um but in the dark season two also i know it's on itunes that's where i listen to a, a podcast um except for when i'm listening to premium i am rapport stereo podcast like this one found exclusively on the i am rapport stereo podcast app um Check that out. It's about a guy in 1996 who was tried. He was tried. He was put on trial um, for murdering four people in a small town in Mississippi. I believe it's, yeah, it's Mississippi. And then he, uh, the, the conviction was overturned. And then he's, was, he was tried Five more times. The guy has been tried, and and um, the, the, each time it was overturned for the same case six fucking times. You, you, you think, how could this happen? Well, it happens. Um, shockingly, it's a black man in a southern town with a white prosecutor who's tried him six times. The same prosecutor has been allowed to try this guy six times 
times, and each time the case is overturned. And all the while, the guy has been locked up in prison. It's been going on since 1996. Um, so it's, it's a, another like, what the fuck kind of world? What kind of legal system? What kind of cracks and crevices can people get caught up in the system? And it's really good. Shockingly, again, uh, I, I got this recommendation from uh, Big Tooth Gary, Gary Delabonte of the Howard Stern Show. Uh, but you should check that out. It's called In the Dark. Um, and it's on iTunes. And I don't know where else. I'm just giving you the recommendation. Yeah, as I said, CJ McCollum, 40 points. The Washington Wizards suck. It's over. The Washington Wizards stink right now, and it's over. Their apex, their mountaintop moment was when John Wall, and I, t- I talk shit about it. It was when John Wall hit that game winner against the Celtics two seasons ago in the playoffs, and it was either game four of a five-game series or game six of a seven-game series, and then they wind up losing the fucking series. Uh, remember, he was jumping on the table and all that bullshit. And 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 they're finito. They're fucking finito. They 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 just they've gotten worse. Um, and, and I don't know why they've gotten worse. I don't care enough. Um, I don't like when talent doesn't live up to their potential. And I feel like uh, that team and uh, 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 John Wall. As a, as a player who uh, is supposed to get better and better and a star, uh, it just hasn't. Um, they're 2-8. and eight. They're 2-8. and eight. The Cleveland Cavaliers are 1-9, and fucking nine, okay? So, so, so they're below them. And above the Washington Wizards are my New York Knicks. But we're not talking about the Knicks here, okay? I, I just somehow wanted to talk about the Washington Wizards who stink uh, I want to give a, a shout out to the Brooklyn Nets who were five and six. December eighteenth, the Brooklyn Nets are playing in uh, Brooklyn. I think they're playing. Uh, uh, who knows who they're playing? Uh, uh, I don't know. On December eighteenth, I know they're playing in Brooklyn. I saw something. They have these uh, Biggie Smalls inspired jerseys, and I'm not even a jersey guy, and I wouldn't even wear one. But this has to be the dopest jersey ever in NBA history. They got all the throwback jerseys, the special jerseys. Uh, they have uh, Latino Month, um, where they, they all the jerseys are in you know, Spanish. Um, but on the 18th, the Brooklyn Nets are, de- are debuting Biggie Smalls-inspired jerseys, which is so fucking Brooklyn. Um, it's got the coochie sweater design on the side, um, and I want one. I want one. Again, I probably won't wear it. I don't know. Maybe I'll have t-shirts or something like that. I'm not walking around in a, in a Brooklyn Nets jersey, uh, a, a New York Knicks jersey, or a Philadelphia 76ers jersey, or even a Golden State Warriors jersey. I'm 48 motherfucking years old, but I, I, I do want one. Teams that are doing good. The Toronto Raptors are 10-1, and Kawhi Leonard hasn't been around to play every single game. They're 10 and 1. The Milwaukee Bucks are 8 and 2. They're fun to watch. Indiana's also fun to watch. Um, but the Toronto Raptors being 10 and 1, I have to say, I don't believe the hype. I don't believe the hype. Uh, 
Jordan Winter of the Dust Brothers, Dust Brothers Production, I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast Production Team. He believes the hype. Pascal Siam, Siakam, friend of this I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast. I believe he may be a premium sub- subscriber, so he's hearing this. He's killing it. Of course, he was uh, a guest uh, of the I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast when we performed in Toronto. Shout out to the entire Toronto Rapper Pack. Shout out to the entire Canadian Rapper Pack. He's stepped his whole shit up and stepped his game up. But I don't believe the hype. Um, I know LeBron was your roadblock and LeBron is obviously gone. But I don't know. I, I-, I need to see this uh, sustainable. And I need to see you get over the hump in May and in June. Um, which brings me to the Sacramento Kings. They're fun. They're fast. Somehow, some way, the San Antonio Spurs are six and fucking three. Again, that's not even six and three. Uh, I'm no mathematician, but that's nine. That's not even 10 games. Uh, but they are six and three. And their point guard, uh, Tony Parker, doesn't play for them anymore. And the other point guard, DeJounte, I can't remember his last name, he's out for the whole season. But somehow, some fucking way, Greg Popovich and the San Antonio Spurs do the damn thing. The two skinny genification stories of the week, and it's like this, this one thing happened three nights ago. Jamal Murray of the nine and one Denver Nuggets, they're nine and fucking one. Uh, Jamal Murray's uh, dope point guard, Canadian also. Never thought I'd be saying that. Hey, no disrespect to Canada, you, you know, but I never thought I'd be saying that. You, you guys got a bunch of dudes in the league now. I never thought I'd be saying that either. No disrespect to Canada. My brother lives in Halifax. I love Canadians. I love the Canadian people. I love the Canadian I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast fans, but I never thought I'd be saying uh, Jamal Murray, dope point guard from Canada. Shoot me. So this is uh, one of two skinny genification stories of the NBA. Jamal Murray scored 48 points the other night against the Boston Celtics. Jamal Murray and the Denver Nuggets, they beat Kyrie Irving and the Boston Celtics. So this has been all over. Like I don't know why this is a big fucking deal. There's so many other stories to create and make up, but God damn it. Just on and on and on and on and on. It's like literally like the fucking Real Housewives, which by the way, started Sunday. Real Housewives of Atlanta started Sunday. And tonight, Real Housewives of New Jersey starts season premiere. Now, I don't know if anybody listening to this I Am Rappaport Stereo podcast in prime time, I might be the only one. Who cares about that? That's why I won't continue talking about it. I wish I had more people to discuss play-by-play housewives with, but I'm not going to do it here. I I know that it's an enigma. I know that it's an unusual thing. You guys know that I love the housewives. I know that you know that I love the housewives. And I know even some of the best I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast premium subscribing fans judge me because I listen to the Housewives. That's okay. That's okay. I'm comfortable with that. It's fine. I know you're like, what the fuck? Is this a put-on rap? Are you for real? Yes, I'm for real. I love the fucking Housewives. I'll keep it all the way real with you guys. The other night, 
the premiere of Real Housewives of Atlanta came on in Sunday, on Sunday, and the New England Patriots Green Bay Packers game came on and they uh, sort of overlapped. The Housewives started at, I believe, 8 o'clock. The Packers kickoff was at 8.20. Uh, I watched Real Housewives first and then caught up with the rest of the game on, on record and then, you know, went into real time. That's real. That ain't no bullshit. Judge me if you want. I'm not even ashamed of it, okay? But I watched Real Housewives of Atlanta first and then watched the Packers play the New England Patriots, okay? So Jamal Murray scored 48 points. Um, I think Kyrie scored 31, which ain't, ain't chicken liver. And the last 12, 13, 14 seconds of the game, Denver had the ball. The game was over. Um... Denver was winning by like 12 and Boston sort of, you know, walked away. They, they were like, you know, how when there's, they were going to dribble out the clock. They expected Denver to dribble out the clock. Well, somebody passed the ball to Jamal Murray. The crowd was going crazy. They knew he had 48 points. Um, they wanted him to get 50. They were hooting and hollering and saying, shoot, shoot, you know, 50, 50, 50. So with like eight seconds left on the clock, Jamal Murray, you know, uh, shot a three, like a deep three, not a crazy deep three. Uh, the shot missed. Time went out. Uh, Kyrie Irving uh, ran over, got the ball, threw it way deep into the stands in Denver. And the big controversy is, number one, should have Jamal Murray even shot the, the ball? Should the Boston Celtics have submitted? Should they continue playing defense? If they're not playing defense, is it okay for Jamal Murray to shoot the ball? Would Jamal Murray want to accomplish 50 points under those terms? Uh, did Kyrie Irving take things too far? And then he complained and complained and complained about it. He said, you know, he, he tried to score 50 on me. He tried to embarrass me. You, your, seat, your career high is 48 points, but you don't get the ball. He threw the ball into the stands. He was fined $25,000. It's a whole bunch of fucking nothing. But they turn this into fucking, it's like as the day, it's like days of our lives, as the world turns, aka the skinny genification of the NBA. It's a whole bunch of nada. I don't care. I think Jamal Murray shouldn't have shot the ball, but he did shoot the ball. You know what you do, Kyrie Irving? You give him the ball. You say, congratulations, I'll see you in Boston. I'm going to bust your ass. You don't throw a little shit fit and throw it into the stands. He wants to be petty, so you're even more petty. Walk over to him, give him a pound, be like, yo, congratulations, I'm going to crack your fucking ass when I see you in Boston. That's the end of it. But instead, we have this long thing that's being debated and debated three days later, and it's not even worth debating why am i even discussing on this i am rapport stereo podcast in prime time another skinny genification moment from a guy that i really like i'm a big fucking fan of motherfucking anthony davis who they're saying yo this should be his mvp year this should be the year that uh, Anthony Davis take things over the top and he should get his credit. He should, uh, you know, be MVP discussion. Well, now the brow, the unibrow, who I like, he's a good player. You're not even 10 games into the season. You want to be the MVP. Uh, and now you're bitching. He, uh, you know, the Pelicans started off strong. I think they won five games in a row or four games in a row. 
Then Anthony Davis got a little dinged up. And, uh, you know, things aren't as sweet now. But he complained to a reporter the other day. He said, I, I have to play nearly perfect every night for us to have a chance to win. You want to be the MVP? You want to be that dude? That's what it takes. No shit you have to play nearly perfect for your team to win. Your team is not that good, but you're one of the best players in the league. You got to play perfect. Why is that a burden? You're 24 years old. Now is the time that you have the, the energy and the wherewithal to try to achieve perfection. Anthony Davis, don't fucking whine. Don't complain. This ain't the real housewives of New Orleans, or is it? Or is it? Man the fuck up if that's how you're feeling. Tell it to the judge. Tell it to your girlfriend. Tell it to your homies. Do not let it make the wavelength of me the gringo man dingo. Okay? Because I got something to say about it. You want to be that guy. That's what it takes. You don't hear Kobe, Michael Jordan, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, and these guys saying some shit like that. LeBron James saying some shit like that. Well, he does. He's a fucking baby. But he warrants being a baby because he's LeBron James. He's that fucking good. Speaking of LeBron James, I asked who would rear his ugly head first, LeVar Ball or LeBron Blames? LeVar Ball, he won. He said that I could coach the Lakers with my eyes closed. <sighs> Can't do shit, LeVar Ball. Uh, LaMelo Ball has left Lativia, wherever the fuck they are, Lithuania. Uh, the big baller brand, remember LaMelo Ball? The 16 or 17 or 18-year-old, I don't know how old this fucking kid is. He's the younger brother, he's the, he's the next, the quote-unquote, golden child of the Ball family. He uh, uh, is back from wherever the fuck they were in Lithuania, Turkey, Greece, I don't know. Um, and he's playing high school ball in, 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 in Ohio. Fucking Jesus Christ. That of all the places to play high school ball, you fucking send your son to Ohio? That shithole? Um, but the Lakers are in disarray. They just signed Tyson Chandler, who I believe is in his 18th year in the NBA, which I don't have a problem with. He uh, could be a good backup to JaVel McGee. He uh, is a very uh, a good uh, defensive and rebounding uh, leader on the team. He's like the backbone of a defense. Um, I think this will rejuvenate him in his last, got to be, shit, one or two, maybe three more years in the league. Keep getting them checks, Tyson Chandler. And the the, the Lakers, you know, Whatever. They said that they're not going to get rid of uh, Luke Walton. Magic said he'll be here all year. Um, there was that conversation last week or a few days ago between Luke Walton and Magic that they said was tense. I, I, and these are the leakers. This is that bullshit. This is something that the NBA, it, 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 you know, we, we us as fans, I have a little insight because I was told by people that actually do it that there's leakers on team. If, if Magic and Luke Walton sit in an office and have a private conversation, how do we know that the conversation was tense? How do we know that he abonished Luke Walton? That was the quote. Is that the right word, abonished? Luke Walton in the meeting. We don't know. 
If you sit down with your girlfriend, your wife, your friend, your cousin, your, 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 your dad, the rest of your family, friends, cousins, your mom, they don't know the, the context, the tone of the conversation. But in the NBA, Luke Walton, one grown man, can meet another grown man, Magic Johnson, and somehow, some way, uh, everybody in the world who wasn't there, including the people that are reporting on it, are talking about the tone of the conversation. Fake news. But people do it. Somebody in the Lakers uh, uh, organization was told to leak that, which is some bullshit, which is something that has been hurting the Knicks for so many years. I think once you start sharing things with the press to sort of, you know, create a narrative, you're in trouble. Uh, That being said, they said Luke Walton uh, will uh, be with the team for the full season and the Los Angeles Lakers, the Real Housewives of Los Angeles, uh, the beat continues. I am Rappaport Podcast. All right, before we get to um, the uh, official, unofficial political correspondent of the Iron Rapport Stereo Podcast, I have uh, my own takes on some of the shit that went down. First of all, Dick Stain, Donald Trump Jr., tweeted me. I don't know if he knows who the fuck I am or how I get down. Um, But I was very, very vocal on social media last night talking all kinds of shit about whatever I saw. I got to be honest. Fox News. Holy shit. If you're looking for some comedy, just as personalities, you know, do not get it twisted. These are people that are hired because of the way they speak on all the channels. Rachel Maddow, MSNBC. Fox News, CNN, NBC, ABC. It's all uh, produced television. Just same way like Stephen A. Smith, Skip and Stephen A. Smith. They were like an odd couple. Skip and Shannon. These are all shows that are produced. And the casting, the, the, the people you see is taken into consideration. You can't have Stephen A. and Shannon, right? They're too similar. They're both screamers. They're both black. They both get hyped. You know, you need a yin and a yang, an odd couple. Whatever the, the, the mix and match is, you need that to work. And Fox News has a bugged out mix and match. And I'll be honest, CNN, Disco Don Lemon, he's fucking out to lunch too. He's bugged the fuck out also. Uh, but Dick Stain Donald Trump, he tweeted at me last night because I was talking greasy about Florida. Obviously, the Democratic governor didn't win down in Florida. And I was talking about how Gore got jerked out of the presidency. And Dick Stain, Donald Trump Jr., responded to my voiceover video by saying, and I quote, does someone want to tell him, question mark, question mark, question mark. And then he hashtagged TDS. I don't know what the fuck that means. I don't know what hashtag TDS means. Maybe that... Trump does suck. Ha. That was a falling fruit. That was low-hanging fruit right there. TDS. What does hashtag TDS mean? Dick Stain Jr. Um, but then I responded back as I, as I do uh, so eloquently. I, I said uh, very eloquently, and I quote. This is, this is cool, quoting yourself. Um, because I saw an article uh, in the, the Nationalist or the Atlantic, one of the fucking things. It's a Donald Trump Jr. expected to be indicted by Mueller soon. 
Um, so I, I responded to what he said by saying, does someone want to tell him, meaning Dick Stain, Donald Trump Jr., do you know that you are going to be indicted soon? And then I said, uh, Dick Stain, did you get some of daddy's titty milk today, Jr.? Uh, nothing more pathetic than a daddy's boy. I mean, that's true. There is nothing more. It's one thing to be a mama's boy, but a fucking daddy's boy, a grown-ass fucking man. I went on to say, and I quote, uh, you're a grown-ass man under your father's nutsack, 24-7, 365. At least Bucktooth Eric tries to stay low-key, unquote. Um, that was my response to Dick Stain, Donald Trump Jr. Uh, maybe he doesn't know my reputation and how I get down with this verbal warfare, this verbal intercourse. Shout out to Raekwon. As you know, we are celebrating the 25th anniversary of both Enter the 36 Chambers by uh, the great Wu-Tang Clan and Midnight Marauders by the great uh, A Tribe Called Quest. All week long, uh, we are celebrating both those albums. Uh, I, I wonder uh, if uh, Dick Stain Jr. Will, will ever respond to, uh, will ever uh, talk greasy to me again. Because uh, I can turn on that Willie Hutch. Oh, yes, I could turn it on oh so quick. Miles, uh, tickle the ivories with a little Willie Hutch. You want that? Dick Stain Jr.? No, 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 no. Huh? You're a grown-ass daddy's boy. Grown-ass fucking man. Cut it off, Miles. I'm not going to give him a full Willie Hutch now. I've said enough. Uh, but rest assured, the, the, uh, it's in the chamber. Uh, not literally, figuratively, uh, that Willie Hutch is, is in the chamber, uh, ready to go anytime, any place. Uh, as I said, I was watching all the news channels. Uh, Laura Ingram, who I've never spent that much time watching, you know, the Fox News chick whose face is pumped up on so much Botox that she can't, I guarantee you she can't eat an apple. Her face is so pumped up on Botox, she can't even open her mouth. That's why she's always talking like this. You notice that? She's like, yes, because when your face is uh, on Botox, you lose control of your muscles in your grill. So she's always like, yeah, yes. She can't eat an apple. Uh, she's talking shit about Taylor Swift. She said, hey, Taylor, haters going to hate. Shake it off because, uh, you know, the Tennessee Senate went to a Republican. This is a news reporter on Fox News. Um, but two of the things that I think are really dope. Um, and it doesn't matter, uh, right now, um, whether or not they're good judges, we shall see. Uh, but in Alabama, nine black women, nine women who are African American, nine black women were, uh, elected to be judges at the end of the day. Hopefully they are great judges. And hopefully they could do great things and bring a, a fair perspective to what they do. Um, but the accomplishment is big fucking deal, man. Really fucking big deal. Uh, so congratulations to that, those nine women. And in Houston, in Harris County, 19, one nine, 19 female judges who were all black women were elected. Which, again, incredible. Um, so congratulations to all those women. Uh, congratulations to 
shit. I mean, that's a big fucking accomplishment. Hopefully these women will be great at their job and bring some fairness uh, and some dignity to their jobs. Um, but the accomplishment is, is incredible. Follow up on the two pipe bomb suspects, uh, that fuck Caesar Sayak, who sent all the pipe bombs, uh, the guy with the fucked up plug job, uh, who's been a sick fuck of the decade, uh, just based on his hairdo, who sent the pipe bombs to De Niro, uh, Obama and Biden. You see how I put De Niro in front of Obama and Obiden and Hillary. Um, he's been held, uh, without bail. You dumb fuck. He's in New York. You know, you're not getting any bail. I, I hope you didn't think you were going to get any bail. You're never getting out of jail, asshole. You understand that? Caesar, you fuck you. You ain't, you tried to fucking kill Robert De Niro. You think you're getting out of jail, you cocksucker? You tried to kill fucking Bobby D. You plug job steroid taking motherfucker. You're lucky I don't come down to the fucking jail cell. Come down to the fucking tombs myself and bust your fucking head open. That's Danny Aiello. And you remember the guy who tried to blow up the Port Authority bus terminal? Uh, I believe this happened in 2016. Remember this fucking asshole? The immigrant from Bangladesh? He wound up blowing off his dick or at least part of his dick. Remember this? It's crazy that you could try to blow up the Port Authority right there in the middle of Manhattan and we sort of go, oh yeah, that guy. That's insane that he becomes an oh yeah, that guy figure. Well, that fuck uh, has been found guilty. You're also not getting out of jail. And now you're in jail for the rest of your life with a fucked up cock and ball set. Your cock and ball set is all fucked up in the game. So you're in prison for life with a broken dick and a broken set of balls. All right. I've said enough. 45 minutes of fire. Right there off the cuff. Impromptu. Rocking and rolling. In prime time. Uh, coming up next on the phone from the front lines in Washington, D.C. My man, official or unofficial, I am Rapport Stereo Podcast political correspondent to break down the good, the bad, and the ugly from the midterm elections. Let's go, my man, Eli. Mike Rapp. Eli. Congratulations on 500 episodes. It's a big fucking deal. It sure is. Are you exhausted? Yes. All right, well, listen. The people wanted to hear from you. I needed to hear from you. Uh, with no further ado, the uh, unofficial slash official I Am Rapport Stereo podcast political correspondent, the very insightful, very knowledgeable Eli Lake. Uh, can you give me the good, the bad, and the exciting and indifferent? from the midterm elections 2018. Well, here's the, the good and the most relevant fact. Democrats control the House of Representatives. That means that they have subpoena power for the Trump administration, and it 
means that there will be adversarial oversight of the Trump administration, and that will potentially lead to a lot of problems for Donald Trump. And we saw DJT today start off saying he wants to work with Nancy Pelosi, who will likely be the next speaker. But then that if there were lots of these investigations, he threatened, hey, we can investigate Democrats, and that his cooperation on certain areas where there would be overlap would be in some ways contingent on. So that's the the really relevant fact. That was expected in some ways, but you never know, you know, especially after 2016, people thought Hillary Clinton would win. So that is significant that you now have Democrats with subpoena power and you have a real check in the House of Representatives. It also looks like Republicans increased their majority in the Senate. And uh, we're still waiting to see how some of these races go. Um, But that's important because I'm sure a lot of the listeners are interested in the question of impeachment. The House uh, would convict and the Senate in an impeachment would essentially be the jury in a trial. So, I mean, I think at this point there may be impeachment. We'll see what happens. But. It won't get through the Senate, so it'll be similar to what happened to Bill Clinton in uh, 98, I think, or 99, when, remember, he was impeached by the House for uh, lying under oath, Monica Lewinsky, et cetera. For Skeeton. For Skeeton. Yeah, for that, exactly. There was impeaching for Skeeton. But then, uh, you know, not guilty uh, in the Senate. So that is likely the scenario if they wanted to go down that road— But if Nancy Pelosi is the speaker, I don't think that she would necessarily do that. Uh, I do think, though, that there 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 is this potential to have a lot of other kinds of investigations. The other big thing to think about in terms of the implication here is that uh, in the press conference today, which I recommend at least seeing the highlights of because it was kind of Trump was in rare form. Yeah, I saw it. He was he was he was. I mean, that motherfucker's got stamina. You could say what you want about him. That motherfucker's got stamina. He's like one of the great New York shit talkers. I mean, you oh. said it. You came up with that. But that is, he's, that's his thing, man. He's good at that. Um, so he said something that was interesting on this question of, you know, whether or not, you know, he would cooperate. I mean, he sort of fluctuated back and forth on this stuff. But um, I think in some ways, you know, he he said I would, you know, it would be good for me to run against the, you know, Democrats if they if they were hostile because he needs a foil. He needs a, a, you know, a bad guy to sort of rile up his base. And we saw that. Did he say that? He said it in so many words. He said, you know, I could it would be good for me also if, you know, you you came after me because he understands that, you know, he would not be convicted in the Senate at this point because not only. Are you getting more Republicans? You're replacing Republicans that may have been persuaded, like John McCain, who, who died this year, or Jeff Flake, with much Trumpier Republicans who, who, who clearly wouldn't go against him. So in that respect, he kind of knows that, you know, it could, it could be, you know, it would feel good in the moment, but it would be similar to what happened, uh, you know, with the, with, the, with, the, uh, Repo- with the Republicans way back in the 90s, which is, uh, you know, Clinton cleaned their clock in 96 and 98. And um, so it's just something to sort of keep in mind of whether it would be good politics or not. And 
I think the better strategy at this point, if I was a Democrat, would be focus on getting the kind of candidate who uh, is not like Hillary Clinton, who can appeal to lots of people who, because, you know, a lot of people who, especially in Wisconsin, Ohio, Pennsylvania, which went for Trump in 2016, a lot of voters who supported Trump were Obama supporters in 2008. So you need to kind of get that sort of figure. And uh, we don't necessarily know who that could be. But at this point, that would be the, the way to do it instead of thinking that you could cut you know, his presidency short uh, through impeachment. Are, are there even any names that are being mentioned? Because we're in 2018. You know, 2019, like after June, July, heading into the fall, like you got to start doing your, your, your pre-campaigning. I mean, it's not that far off. Uh, you know, six, eight, nine months from now, uh, somebody's going to have to emerge. Like, who would you even think? I mean, Mike Bloomberg, you know, the, he, he's been rumored. You know, they're talking about now Beto O'Rourke would try to do it. Uh, Kamala, uh, crying Cory Booker. Who I just, I just can't have him up there crying. You know, I like Cory Booker, but I can't have a guy crying. He just seems like he's always on the verge of tears. Um... Joe Biden, Disco Joe, who, 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 who the fuck is going to like, who is, who's going to, you know, stay, the rock? I mean, like, what are we going to do here? Like, do you even have like a, a fair competition? Well, I work for Bloomberg, but I have no inside information on Mike Bloomberg. But I think you're right that it appears, you know, he's certainly shown that he's interested in running. He, he was certainly involved in these midterms. He said he had a pretty big pack that he was giving money to Democrats um, and he put out a statement after the election. Um, you know, another name you hear sometimes is Oprah Winfrey. Oh, she hell no. No. Well, she was very impressive, I have to say. If you look at her speech for Stacey Abrams, the Democratic governor. But look what it did. She Georgia. didn't win. You know, and it's like I'm one of these Hollywood people that they call Hollywood elites. But it's like I felt like some people are like, are you voting um, for a congressman or a senator and a governor and your local this and your local that so you could get a retweet from your favorite actor or are you voting because you're invested? Are you voting, uh, you know, because, you know, Will Farrell knocked on 20 doors and you happen to be one of them? Like, I mean, I don't know how much of that has uh, to do with it, but Oprah, Diddy, all these people pushed for her. She didn't fucking win. Well, we don't know yet. There's, but that's one that's really close, and there there are some mail in ballots coming in, and there's, it's close enough that I think there will be a recount. Um, okay, but I didn't realize it was still that close. Regardless, it was very close. What I'm saying is that I saw her stump speech, and I said she can give a political speech. She has the kind of charisma, and because she's not in politics, much the way that DJT was not in politics really before. She can rise above. She doesn't have all this. She doesn't have a long bunch of dirt on her right. in the same way a political figure would. And she can kind of, you know, appeal to somebody who's like, I'm not going to give you the same bullshit from the, you know, both parties and get involved in partisan stuff. That is potentially a formula. And you could argue it takes a reality star to beat a reality star. I'm not argue, I'm not endorsing Oprah right here. I'm just giving you the argument. Beto O'Rourke, had he beaten Ted Cruz in Texas, would have been the front runner to be the nominee in 2020. Because I don't know if you've seen him; he's very charismatic. I like him. Um, and the fact that he came that close in in the in the very conservative state of Texas tells you something. If 
you know, if he had been a senator in another state, he would he would have won in almost any other place, it seems, um, ex, you know, except for, you know, Texas. The fact that he got that far is very impressive. And he did it kind of really hewing to he didn't try to, you know, he didn't do things to make it seem like he was watering down his position. He ran, ran as a progressive. He said he would support impeachment. Um so, but but I think I don't think he can really do it now that he he didn't win his race. But so you mentioned Kamala Harris; she's definitely a front runner. Uh, Cory Booker certainly. Senator Elizabeth Warren is somebody that you keep hearing. I nope, think she's a darling. Nope, nope. Why don't you like Senator Warren? I like winners, man. I I like yeah. people who can. You know, I, it's not that I don't like her. I I do like her, but he will fucking chew her up and spit her out so quickly. Um, so I, I can only really stand behind somebody who I think has a chance. And the only way you have a chance with Trump is if you purely outclass him. Um, but even with outclass, you have to be able to uh, uh, stand in the pocket and fight him. You're not going to just win by the fucking, like I said it 100,000 times, you're not going to win by when they go low, we go higher, earnest bullshit. You have to go in there and be prepared for like, a not, not even UFC. There's no gloves. Um, weapons are allowed. And, uh, you know, there's no rules. So if you're not prepared to do that, and Elizabeth Warren, she's not going to do that. You're not going to win. So I like her, but she's, she just won't win. And this fucking Avenatti guy? Come on, man. This fucking guy. Well, that Avenatti is over. He blew himself up. He's got all these problems. He's, you know, he, Avenatti went way overreached during the Kavanaugh hearings. And, you know, he, I think he's, I think he's a, a blip. You're, you're making a very good point, Mike Rapp. I don't know that Democrats necessarily have somebody. And they're going to they're gonna need someone, though, who can rise to that level of Trump. And you're right, like, kind of be just as you know, aggressive and kind of against him in the way that he is against other people. He's so good at defining people with those things and stuff. But I would just point something else out that's kind of related to this, which is, you know, for me, I find myself often like, you know, there's a lot of stuff about the Democrats I don't like, and there's obviously a lot of stuff about Trump I don't like. But those ads that he ran before the midterms that depicted the caravan of people coming to the border as if it was they were breaching the, you know, saying they were bringing disease, they were breaching the wall, it was an invasion, and playing to that ugliest side of the country, um, it should be a reminder, and I still think that it, for most Americans, that that's not really who we are. We're a nation of immigrants and refugees. Nobody, except for, you know, Native Americans, were really can claim a kind of, you know, you know being here at some point, everybody came here. And that's how I think we were both raised and our both our understanding of America. And there's something really awful about how Trump plays to that, because mm -hmm. there's a lot of Americans, particularly Latino Americans, who I think catch a lot of hell as a result of the president of the United States using that kind of rhetoric. And I would like to think that, you know, th that's the kind of thing that should unite like 75 percent of us. And, you know, this is the midterms are not necessarily the best barometer of that. But that's the main, that's sort of on a substantive issue. That's what's so important at this point. You know, one thing that I'm glad uh, is over about the midterms is I, I don't want to see any more fucking I voted stickers. 
I don't oh, want to see the fucking <laughs> I voted stickers on your forehead. Uh, I don't want to see your I voted stickers on your dog's forehead. They put it on their kid's forehead. It makes me sick when they put it over their lips. There's something about it that just kind of like it's it just seems like a lot of bacteria. Um, enough with the fucking I voted stickers. Uh, and also, again, like, are you looking for retweets from your favorite actor? Everybody's like, oh, I, I voted. Uh, and then you at Chris Rock. Chris Rock, Chris Rock ain't going to fucking, ain't going to fix Florida. Chris Rock ain't going to fix Texas. Uh, uh, what else is going on, Eli? Is there any other sort of, like, look left, uh, but, oh, we're forgetting about something on the right, not literally in terms of right-left uh, of politics, but, like, you know, we're, we talked so much in the last two weeks about um, the midterms. What's going on foreign right now that's pressing you, concerning you, or exciting you? Okay, so that's a good, that's a good open-ended question. I will say this. So far, the government experts, not it's not political leaders, have confirmed that there was no cyber attack on voting systems from the Russians in the midterms. If you remember, that's something that we were all freaking out about like five months ago. It was, a, there were, you know, congressional hearings and things like that. So it didn't happen. And it's worth asking why it didn't happen. And part of that is because, you know, the, under Trump and particularly the national security advisor, John Bolton, there is a new, very aggressive cyber strategy that is aimed at basically letting the Pentagon hack our adversaries at a volume and level that really they hadn't done before. And the question is, were the Russians deterred? Because I guess at this point, we're in a real kind of free-for-all in that regard. And, you know, it's not just election systems, but, you know, our adversaries like China and Russia and even Iran have probably the ability at this point to put in a, a virus or malware into our electrical grid, hospitals, traffic lights, and things like that. And uh, that could be an enormous amount of devastation. And, uh, you know, the U.S. has also sort of been doing it. So we're now seeing a more aggressive posture in that realm. So that's important. But it's interesting that we didn't see any kind of effort to change the vote tallies or things like that, which we feared the Russians may try to do in the midterms. And, you know, we, we, we certainly were worried that they were going to try to do that in 2016, given everything that was going on. That's one thing to watch. And then next week, we're going to see Trump is going to be in Paris and he'll have another meeting with Putin and we'll see what comes of that. So far, you know, Trump has surrounded himself with people who've been very aggressive against Russia in the cabinet, like Mike Pompeo and the CIA director, Gina Haspel, um, so even though he says outrageous stuff where he sucks up to Putin and we all hate that and we make fun of it, the actual you know stuff the U.S. government has done, in my view, as somebody who follows this issue, has been pretty good. Mm. And we'll see if that continues. Explain that. Explain that, Eli, because that's a big uh, point. Um, explain what he's sure. what, what they've done that's been pretty good. Okay, so just as a bit of background, when. In 2016, I mean, Trump was saying all these wonderful things about Putin as we were getting information that the Russians had hacked and distributed emails from leading Democrats. And that really did cross a lot of lines. And so the concern was, is that some either Putin may have had something uh, to blackmail the president or that for whatever reason, Trump, you know, either owed the money and liked authoritarians and that we would see a collapse of uh, our policy to try to punish the Russians for their 2014 invasion of Ukraine 
where they annexed a part of the country known as Crimea, and a whole series of other terrible things that the Russians have been doing under Putin, but that's the biggie. So the sanctions have not collapsed. In fact, under Trump and at the urging of Congress, they've added more sanctions on Russia um, for various other things. He has um, kicked out Russian spies from the United States. He's shut down uh, some of their diplomatic facilities that were also used for espionage purposes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And despite his, again, it's one of these, it's a disconnect. He says things about uh, NATO, which is the alliance we have with European countries that's been around since the end of World War II uh, or after World War II. He says things that should be troubling, but the actual policy is that he has supported an increase of troop deployments near Russia in the, the Baltic states and, you know, has encouraged the, has, the actual policies have been pretty good on that. So there is this disconnect between what he says and what the government does. And we'll see if that continues. But if that does continue, to me, that I think mitigates like one of the big risks that we had elected somebody who was disloyal to the United States and that, you know, would roll over for Russia. So far, it hasn't happened in terms of policy. And that, I think, is a, a reason to sort of exhale uh, or to have some relief. Okay, that's fair. I um, want to stress the reason I think people should oppose Trump is because of this nativist bullshit that he does when he makes it seem like every every Latino is an illegal immigrant who loves killing police officers. Right. And he and, and the way that he stirs that up, because something like MS-13, that's I mean, listen. MS-13 are a bunch of ruthless thugs. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. But it is not the kind of issue that, you know, he's the president. He gets to set an agenda that all the media is going to talk about. It's not an issue that would merit that at this point in terms of a high priority. It's important, obviously, to the families and the victims and everything like that. I'm not taking anything away from it, but it was a much bigger problem in the country 10 years ago. And that he deliberately kind of stokes those issues Purely for political game, I, I I think it's a kind of incitement. He groups them together, like obviously killers, obviously yeah. uh, whether they're uh, uh, white Americans that are fucking here, you know, shooting up movie theaters and uh, concerts in Las Vegas, um, and MS-13, uh, whether it's one, you know, kind of violent crime or a hundred violent crimes, they're all they should all be dealt with. But yeah, I know what you mean. He he associates. Uh, MS-13 with people that are coming in here with their with their babies. Yeah, and, I know it's bullshit. It's fucking and, bullshit. And, and like, here's the other thing: the, the first victim. It's like the first victims of MS-13 are usually other Latinos who are living in those neighborhoods. Right. And it's like the first victims of ISIS and Al Qaeda are Muslims. Right. So it's it's like the, he knows uh, so what the fuck think, he's doing. Right. And so when he's doing that stuff, that really does divide us. And that's because those people are our neighbors and they're, you know, we're all Americans. And it's very easy to get a group of people to turn them against another group of people. That to me is the most dangerous thing that he does. And, you know, you can get him on a lot of stuff, but that's the one area which I think we should all be united. And I I still like to think that most Americans agree with us on that. I mean, there's a vocal minority that loves Trump and, and gets all excited about that crap. And we saw it right before me. He kept, he couldn't stop talking about this caravan. But at the end of the day, I still like to think that the majority of Americans are really not down with that. And that's fingers crossed. And now we have a Democrats in Congress and we'll see what happens. 
All right. Well, listen, Eli, I'm going to let you go. I know you, uh, you've you been uh, working hard. You just uh, put up an article. I'm sure it's been like a, a busy fucking last 72 hours in your world, uh, but I wanted to have you uh, bring some insight and some... Uh, some clarity to uh, you know midterms and foreign and all that stuff, and and I appreciate you. Uh, oh, before because it just broke. Uh-oh. We should say Jesus Jeff Sessions Christ. just resigned. Jeff Sessions just resigned. Yeah, that's the that just literally broke as we're three minutes ago. Okay, and Jeff Sessions did what and is who? Okay, he is the Attorney General of the United States. He was originally like the only senator who endorsed Trump in the early days. Trump has uh, antagonized him because he feels that Sessions made a mistake by recusing himself from the investigation into Russian collusion. The famous recuse. Right. And he, and then, you know, so Trump has attacked him publicly, which is, which is almost, we've never really seen in a president like publicly attacking his attorney general quite like that. And now he's resigned. Um, and the, you know, I would, I mean, I'm just speculating now, but the one possibility you could see to replace him would be Lindsey Graham, the Republican Senator from North Carolina. All right. Well, we just broke news here. Okay. Now, not that it's, you know, listen, I'm sure every other news outlet did it, but the Iron Rapport <laughs> Stereo podcast, uh, uh, official and official guy just broke this uh, story here. Um, and I, I appreciate you rocking with me, Eli, uh, just so you know, it's midnight Marauders Enter the 36 Chambers Celebration Week. Um, Both of those records came out November 9th, 1993 on the same day. Which when you think about it in context... Can I share a story about that because we're like the same age? Yeah, but but, but just so you know, that, like when you think about that in context, that's like Michael Jordan... Hakeem Olajuwon in the same draft. Yes. So go ahead. Let me hear your story about it. Well, it's like I I remember when Midnight Marauders came out because I was a big tribe head. And I got it the first day. It took me, I think, like six months, seven months to really be hip to uh, return to, to Wu-Tang because they were so different. And, if you, I mean, like, you got to remember at the time, you know, we had not heard where, like, deliberately the samples had to scratch in the record and things like that. Um, and, like, their skits, it was wild. Mm-hmm. But once you heard Wu-Tang and got into it, you realized they had, like, revolutionized hip-hop. And, you know, for what it's worth, it's hard to pick one tribe record, but Midnight Marauders might be my favorite. You know, it's an ongoing debate. I have to say, without a doubt, it's my favorite. It's, it, to me, it's like Songs in the Key of Life, Abbey yes. Road, uh, uh, Kind of Blue. It's, it's true perfection. Um, as much as I love Low End Theory and People's Instinctive, um, that album is perfection on every single level from the, the, the liner notes to the artwork on the cover to every sound um, on the record. It's such a spiritual, um, soulful, perfect hip-hop record. I fucking... And I feel like Fife and Q-Tip are on an equal lyrical level on that record, too. And, and the production, the sounds on oh, that record. Oh, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's just, I'm going to put it on now. And the contrast between that and the unusual greatness of Enter the 36 Chambers, it's just a, just crazy that it, they were both released on the same day, and then you think 25 years ago, and neither one of them has aged a bit. They're just like fine fucking wine. 
Um, Nobody is coming really close to that. That's not even the, close. I don't care. Era. We're not old. We're not corny. We're not haters. It's You're not even close. Nobody. Not even close. Those two records, you're not even close. Yeah. Those all-timers right there. Um, all right, Eli. Well, thanks for the... Uh, all right, Raph. The, the, Congrats on the 500, man. That's great. I appreciate it, and I'll talk to you soon, my man. All right. Thanks, man. Bye-bye.